And we're live. We're, I think we're yeah, we're live. We're live. Good morning. Live. Good evening. <laughs> what time is it there? What time is it there? It's what time is it here? It's uh, what time is it? Seventeen forty-six. Seventeen forty-six. So it's uh zero ten forty-three in the morning here. It's seven hours difference. You're seven hours ahead of me. Lucky you spoke in the 24-hour clock there. I would have been confused. Zero, zero 10. Why, why are you going with the zero? Uh, What's the zero about? Just because you sound a pure official, which was 1743. Yeah, but 10 is ten is official. Like, you know, if you're keeping within the confines of the 24-hour, 10 is legit. Like, well, I couldn't have made my joke then. I couldn't have. Uh, I was trying to get. I I trying to, you're trying to be funny. <laughs> trying to be funny. Yes. So. Uh, Always amazes me that I've lived away from home for quite a few years now, but the uh, old difference in time still seems to throw people off. Usually conversations are led with, well, what time is it there? Yeah. It's, it's still still seven hours behind, <laughs> like it has been for the last three years. I don't think it's a throwing things off, though. I think it's a, this is, this is actually a good little launch pad for some interesting ideas. Think about any time you meet anyone, right? The thing you reference is, the thing you tend to first reference is something either proximal in terms of your environment, so your physical environment, like something like the weather or something that happened just recently. So it's either spatially or temporally proximal. And the idea there, as I understand it, or as I, I as I would theorize it, this is kind of part of my PhD work, is that what we're trying to do is maintain stability, right? We're always trying to establish the stability in an interaction, a kind of synergy of sorts. And one good way to do it is to think of something that's available to both of us so that we can both reference. Right? So if we talk about the weather, it's kind of present all the time. Well, present to the people present to it in the same way. So, you know, well, look at that weather. Well, you can reference it and I can reference it. We don't need any common ground beyond that. And what we try and do is move from things that are proximally and spatially, or sorry, temporally and spatially proximal to what you might call a common ground. So we'll go from the weather or say, for instance, you're in a taxi. Are you driving taxis long? something comes up in the conversation that suggests, oh, here's some common area of interest. And once we go there, once we move to that place, we have more stability, right? So we move from a kind of precarious relationship to a less precarious relationship to a less precarious relationship again, each time kind of introducing these frames within which you can kind of make sense together. Mm. So like when you say, what time is it there? It gives you kind of... <laughs> it gives you a uh, space within which to establish this kind of initial coordination, right? And and it is kind of interesting because you can always reflect, oh, Jesus, you know, there's only more in there. And it's also a little bit interesting, I suppose, just from a curiosity standpoint. Mm. Yeah, I suppose. Like, And then when people talk about fluff in conversation and it's like, Right. You know, like taxi drivers hate talking about uh, when you're asking them, you know, are you doing this long? Where are you from? What time does your shift start? What time do you finish? The same questions. <laughs> like it, there's probably something to be said from for the risk takers that that don't observe that uh, initial stability and take a punt on trying to get to a stable point by jumping the first hurdle without even. Yeah. And then if you can achieve that, like if you launch into a conversation that jumps that first boat, but you land somewhere that the taxi driver likes. Right, right. That's when you're they, they, that's when you're a legend. They probably appreciate they appreciate you more then. Right, right. But I suppose but, the risk is in doing that that you end up somewhere that is totally foreign and then you end up sitting in a quiet taxi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but think how true that that is anywhere, right? If you're somebody that can hold the stability for other people and bring them along and bring them to interesting places, you know, where they get to. Are you talking sh- literally now as being a taxi driver, bringing them to li- interesting places? <laughs> no, but I suppose like 
if you open up interested spaces for people that allows them to explore aspects of themselves or, or express aspects of themselves in a way that, you know, doesn't depend on them maintaining that space or whatever, then, you, you know, you can, I suppose, be... Um, Get to know the better. <laughs> I suppose I'm trying to say, like, <laughs> those types of people become quite celebrated or, or you know, venerated, or, or we, we, we think of them as charismatic or whatever, right? Because they're kind of holding the space. Um, and they kind of set the norms, but they do it in a way that kind of carries you along. Mm. Very good. Right. So, what time is it? <laughs> I'm joking. Seventeen forty-nine. <laughs> so, what are we doing today? Well, if you just join us, this is the Salt Podcast, where Jujitsu meets theoretical psychology another random conversation we're exploring my efforts to win the world master jiu-jitsu championship with your efforts to roll out this eco behavioral design concept you've been working on we're seeing if we can help each other out help ourselves out and maybe help the listener out in learning a bit more about behavior and our way that we move through the world and our understanding of it Hopefully I can win the Jiu-Jitsu Championships. Hopefully you can uh, uh, sediment this uh, theory or this uh, eco-behavior design concept. And um, yeah, go from there. So the SALT podcast, people ask why the SALT podcast. The logic was the SALT brings the best out in food. We don't know much about food. (laughs) Speak for yourself, brother. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't know but, uh, that was that was the logic it was either the salt podcast or blues brothers because <laughs> we're both uh, bluebells but uh, you know that kind of really plays on on the fact we're bluebells right, then we'd <laughs> hopefully have to, someday we won't be bluebells <laughs> yeah, what do we do with the podcast then when we hit purple belts don't know but uh, anyways yeah so that's the story so today what are we going to do today well how's the train a bit of a refresher okay, Okay, I was just asking, how is the training going? Training's going good. So obviously, yeah, we, we mentioned the last one. I'm a, a dad now, so that's coming first and foremost. So a little baby's doing great, still going good. You, you know, there's, so there's a weird thing when you, you know, when things are going well, you, you, you know, you wanna, you're always touching wood. You're saying, I don't want to jinx myself or touch wood, it continues. I find myself literally doing that every day. And a point comes, because things are going good at the moment, you know, baby's a, uh, She's she's a beautiful little girl. She's eating or feeding and uh, peeing, pooing, you know, <laughs> sleeping, all the stuff that a newborn should. And then like just doing that and we're getting some sleep in amongst all of that. So I'm very appreciative of that fact. So like when people say, how are things going? I'm saying great at the moment, but I find myself the whole time trying to check myself going, you know, t- you know, touch wood continues. And like a point in time, it kind of has to come where you go, all right, well, you know, I have to stop downplaying this the whole time. I have to enjoy this. And I try to enjoy it rather than going, oh, you know, it might only, it might end tomorrow. It might end, you know, you can have to go, all right, stop. Well, what are you expecting to end? What, what's your concern? Well, you know, it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows rearing a, a newborn. You know, I'm sure she's going to have periods where we're not sleeping through the nights. So that, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's enjoy enjoy the time and you know don't feel you have to keep kind of reminding yourself that it could all change in in how it's going you know i think it's important to know that but not not uh, be thinking negatively i suppose in in that sense yeah do you know what i'm trying to say yeah yeah i suppose anytime you you things are going well you can fall into that What's the, what's the, what would be the right word for it? It's almost like a, I don't know, like a, there's a grasping, you know, where you're very aware that it's going well and it's almost a hoarding and you're sensitive to the possibility that it might not and that generates a kind of anxiety. Maybe takes you away from the fact that it's going well. Yeah. So, so I suppose... Enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, all going well so far. And uh, this was kind of really getting 
I suppose back to as normal as I can kind of week for, for training. So not, I wasn't fully there yet. I did attend all available jiu-jitsu sessions. I do my other stuff, my, my planking and hanging and stuff. I missed the night of hanging. That's probably going to happen the odd time too. But, uh, Interestingly, so I was hanging from the bar. If anyone's just joined us, there's a few little uh, key performance indicators I had myself just to measure how I was going in terms of grip strength and core strength along with my jiu-jitsu training. But uh, hanging was actually going backwards for me by the end of January. Like I got up to like two two minutes or two minutes five, I think, hanging from a bar. Then I went back to like one minute 45, whatever it was. Maybe I was just grip fighting a lot in my training. But then after been off for a bit, I I hung the other day and just hung for two minutes, seven seconds straight off the bat. Mm. And uh, my planking is up to four minutes. Uh, what did I do last night? Four minutes. Was it 10? At least four minutes, five. I think it was four minutes, 10 seconds last night. I have it on my board there. So on the way to seven minutes. <laughs> well, you know, obviously I'm no expert in exercise physiology, but that's common enough, isn't it? Where you plateau and then maybe you take a break and you come back and, something has it even say it even happens in jiu-jitsu doesn't it, it happens you know, in like, jiu-jitsu a lot yeah you go away for a while and you come back and things are a bit more integrated yeah maybe the pain has kind of subsided in your joints and stuff if you take a, a little bit off and then you go back not always the way though i find sometimes when you take a little two weeks off you come back and your cardio is shot it takes you like a week to get back into it as well oh my cardio is unbelievably shot because i came back from three weeks and my first first day monday i've never felt so treacly in my life um, treacly is that the right word like just, just you getting know, hot, smashed into the floor yeah by you know people who are much less experienced me and just not having any energy to kind of <laughs> well, literally fight back but by saturday i trained every day this week it was probably my most intense week train in my life plus like six to six days or seven seven days six days and then six days of solid yoga as well why did you do six days of jujitsu what compelled you to do that did you feel guilty after been off for three weeks you wanted to just smash it out no i just felt like going you know just felt like oh. going i think <laughs> <laughs> I think well, uh, is it is it is it easy to get to those classes? Like, are they all on the same time? It just works good timing for you, does it? Yeah, I had nothing on in the evenings besides that. So, uh, and are they all the same classes? Gi no gi, mix it up job. Monday is gi, Tuesday no gi, Wednesday gi. I'm um, yeah, I'm torn like as to how best I should kind of go forward in terms of doing gi or no gi. Anyway, a bit of each you can't go wrong can you but i suppose my point was by saturday my fitness was you know well back up so it's, it, 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 it goes quite quick but you can kind of get it back fairly quick too mm-hmm. and i think with the yoga my body my body was able to manage you know six six nights i'm i'm a lot more cautious with my fingers too where i'm not yeah yeah I'm not playing such a rough kind of gi game, you know. Yeah. No gi is good for the fingers, in fairness. It is, yes. Yeah, break for the fingers. So if anyone's wondering why we're on about gi, no gi, if you're not a jiu-jitsu practitioner, first of all, thank you for making it this far. Uh, we do veer down jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu paths from time to time and appreciate you sticking with us. But uh, gi is with the kimono. No gi is in without the kimono. So rash guards, shorts, whatever. Like compression gear. Compression so yeah. Gear. So let's outline this, what we're going to do, and then let's do it. A man so, with a mission. <laughs> Me. Yeah. So what are we going to do? We're going to, today is going to be a refresher on the eco-behavioral design framework. Am I right? Yes. We did a little bit of this previously, but we had some comments and some questions. And one of the comments was that there was a almost dizzying array of terms and they weren't always integrated very well. So, and I presented certain ideas maybe in advance of when they might have been presented if we were trying to do it perfectly systematically. So what I wanted to do was just give the core concepts 
in a way that's integrated, not spend too much time on any of or you know any particular one of them, so that if people want a decent overview of the whole process, this might be a good episode to come back to if you want to refresh yourself or if you're just hearing it for the first time, it's probably also a good introduction. It's probably good for me too. Yeah, and it's probably good for me too to actually make that effort. So, so I'm going to just let you do. I'm going to let you talk, and I'll just chime in with kind of anything that comes left field. Right. So I was thinking I'd do this in effectively two parts. One, which is a contextualization framing, if you will. And then the second, where I'm talking about each of the core concepts very briefly and the relationships between them. Does that make sense? It does. Right. So the first thing to say is, you know, where this framework emerges from or where it's kind of situated within the theoretical landscape. Is it First of all, is it good to call it a framework or is it a concept? What is eco-behavioral design? I think of it as a practice. So it's a practice that's itself kind of evolving it's a design practice that focuses on behavior change with a certain understanding embedded in that. Cool. Uh, so a framework is maybe a helpful way to think about it. But yeah, I think about it as a practice. And basically it's a practice that I'm just kind of laying the, the beginnings of and hopefully other people come along and improve it or also get involved and look at it and critique it or you know it's 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 not something i'm too precious about either and all of the ideas therein are just what i see as useful heuristics at this point you know i'm not trying to make broad claims necessarily about the nature of reality and being or anything of that matter although it does come from a particular say philosophical and scientific tradition set of frameworks anyway so the first thing to recognize i think is that it comes from this background of what people talk about in terms of 4e cognitive science that's recognizing cognition not as something that necessarily goes on in individual heads but something that's what we talk about in terms of enacted embedded emergent and extended there might be another e we could add more e's to that but all them things really get at a, a kind of a different view of cognition that pushes back against the idea that cognition is just something that goes on inside your head uh, to an understanding of cognition as emergent from a organic entity if you will in relationship to its environment so the environment um, becomes very important in understanding the kind of construction of cognition the constitution of cognition and the various dynamics that are present therein so with that in mind when we're thinking about behavior change right we're all already disposed to be looking at those relations the relations are always going to be important not to say that's not to say that things going on say within the individual aren't uh, equally as important um, but all these things are interdependent right and this kind of points to a recognition that's emergent across the sciences presently and it's this idea of relationality being central and it's normally said that the kind of theoretical frameworks with which we talk about this coming from actually a strong mathematical basis are what we talk about in terms of complex adaptive systems and this is basically just systems of interdependent parts that evolve over time and adapt to their environment uh, given say pressures acting upon them so with all of that in mind, right, the first thing to think about when you're thinking about behavior change is that behavior is not necessarily yours. 
And that also suggests that actually the easiest way to change your behavior is to be in the presence of people who act in a particular way, right? So if you want to act in a particular way, get around people who act in that way more often. You know, that suggests something about the sociality of behavior that's maybe not so present in most of our understandings of behavior change, even if we do recognize, right, that other people are positive constraints on our behavior or enabling constraints or limiting constraints on our behavior. I'll talk about constraints in a few minutes a bit more specifically. But So that that's, you know, it's the reason why, you know, there's a common phrase. Well, it's not the reason, but there's a common phrase that says, you know, we're the average of the five people we most closely associate with. And there's some truth to that, right? Because what we do is adapt to other people in our environment. And if these people are people with whom we associate or want to associate, there's some sense in which we're constantly trying to attune to their behavior. And then it just kind of shows up in us. We'll talk about that idea, I think, in a later episode. Didn't we say we'll have, we'll talk about that in a bit more depth, depth at some time? Yep. Yeah, because it's a kind of an interesting one. But I'm just trying to suggest that there's something important about sociality, right? And this this kind of framework that I'm introducing is is a kind of workaround, right? If you can't get in front of all those people that you that are acting in the way you want to act, what else can you do, right? And eco-behavioral design is, is a kind of a response to that in some ways. Now, that's not to say that eco-behavioral design can't be used for collective changes. I'm sure it can. It's not something I've spent a lot of time on, but I'm actually getting some questions about that. So we're going to address that too in a, a later episode, or at least what my speculations around that are at present. So yeah, some of the some of the core metaphors then within eco-behavioral design that are helpful, right? Because they allow us to acknowledge that behavior is a manifestation of of these kinds of conditions and these interdependencies and this relationality and all these uh, this recognition of this complexity is the idea of a garden, um, right? So we think about behavior as a bit like the growth within a garden. And that also points to an interesting fact about behavior is that, you know, how we act also feeds back into the garden in the same way that right a plant emerges within a garden and draws certain things into the soil and kind of reconstitutes that soil you know this this idea of behavior being analogous in some sense right within this kind of complex ecology of pressures and forces and conditions and environments and biology and all these things that are, are are working to kind of manifest behaviors um we see this interest in relationship where when we act in certain ways it disposes us to act in certain ways so that's the kind of framing right we have a recognition of it coming from a particular background this recognition of this relationality the sociality and then you know when we're moving forward from all that in the context of eco-behavioral design, the kind of core metaphor for us is this notion of the garden, just because it points to certain things about behavior change that are worth pointing towards or, or recognizing the fuel. So I'm going to talk through this second section and maybe use the example of, say, we'll use your example, maybe, you know, what we did at each phase. And why. <laughs> and why, okay. So, so I suppose an important thing to to first emphasize is that you know if you're if you're doing this in the context of a coaching session, you might have a behavior in mind, or you might just say, "Look, there's you know I'm not feeling great, and how can I get back on track?" kind of thing, right? So you could have it could relate to a specific outcome, but there's also ways of approaching this if you didn't have a specific outcome, but you knew there's something up, and we wanted to kind of address that. But here I'm going to kind of presume that there's a specific outcome in mind. So the first thing, and this is something we talked about, and I think we talked about maybe in our last episode too, when you're thinking about a behavior change, right? the first thing to think about is whether or not this might be considered uh, native. right? So we talked about native behaviors before, and the idea there is, is this something 
in some sense, which is going to work within the existing ecology, right? So if you're, if you have, I suppose an easy way to think about this is to say, is this something you on some level kind of want to do, right? It's not something that's been enforced in you. Now I have a kind of scale, which I've drawn up previously and you can go, go onto my Instagram and look at that. And it gives you a sense of, you know, whether or not this might be a native behavior for you. But what we're doing here is just trying to tie the ideas together. So I'm not going to spend too much time. Yeah, on but what it, what it essentially says is if it's not too far removed from how you go about your, your day, it's not otherworldly. Yeah. It's close to the way you go about operating anyways, and therefore it's most likely to sediment. That's kind of what it, that scale is telling you. Yes, but it could it could also suggest that, say, if you really wanted to do it and you'd never done it, but you did really want to do it, it would also work, you know, it'd also be worth exploring there, right? Yeah. And, you know, part of the, the kind of framing that I gave earlier about complex systems and all the ideas that, you know, we really can never really know uh, how a complex system is going to react under certain conditions. We can only have, say, uh, a certain sense of the probable outcomes. So it's always worth exploring if you think there's something worth exploring. But, you know, certain things are going to land better than others. So, right, starting out, is this a native behavior? Is this going to work for me? Maybe have a look at the Instagram if it's something you're thinking about and have a look at that scale. So the second thing, and I should say the reason for doing that is that if you kind of choose correctly, everything thereafter gets way easier, right? So you could choose a behavior and every one of these steps that follows is is not necessary at all thereafter, right? Because it's just so well chosen that it slots into the ecology and works so well that you just take it on board and go at it whole, you know, kind of whole hog. And people say who find a practice and then just become totally obsessed with that. You can imagine that something like this is going on, right? There's, there's, it's almost like the key in the lock, right? There was something specific about that practice that works with the con- conditions that existed prior. And that's why like for training for this competition for me for jiu-jitsu is working so far because I wanted to do it. I was doing jiu-jitsu anyway. It just means open the ante, getting passionate, more passionate about it, you know. Right. right. So the second thing is uh, to think about is the outcome, right? So like if you were, this is a kind of a, an alternative really in some sense to the idea of setting goals. Um, it's a more systems applied system a kind of systemic approach where you're thinking about what are the behaviors which will lead to some goal but it's always good to have an outcome in mind right if you're trying to orient yourself even if you're not 100% hung up on a specific outcome having an outcome in mind is a good is a good place to begin if you're thinking okay what is the kind of change that I need to make thereafter so for you it was obviously when the Initially, at least, it was, you know, win the uh, World's Masters. And then we broke it back down. So the outcome we're looking at now is uh, just getting high on my scale of my game implementation. So it's it's kind of tapered back from my original outcome. Right. And that, that kind of suggests, you know, the this, this next point here, right? So we've native behaviors, then we have behavior, sorry, or habits, then we have outcome. And... What we need to do once we have some sort of outcome in mind is think about this process of distillation, right? And this comes in in effectively two phases. The first is distillation to what we call vital behaviors, right? And that's what, you know, you're talking about there. What is it? What is it that if I did it, uh, say, consistently every day for a certain period of time would just most likely lead to the outcome that I desire, right? So we're again thinking about you know, the, you're not a machine, right? You're, you're, you can't guarantee anything. There is no perfect kind of mechanism with which you can kind of intervene and shape your action in the way that you want it to guarantee a particular outcome. But you can kind of shape it and constrain it a bit like you can kind of coax or cultivate uh, a particular growth out of a plant. So we're thinking about what is the behaviors which if if 
enacted uh, consistently over a certain period of time will lead to that outcome, right? That's the first process, the first kind of pass in the distillation phase. The second pass then is thinking about behavior change in terms of phases and saying, we always have to start with this phase of propagation, right? And what that means is we're distilling vital behavior into what I call a seed habit. And a seed habit is basically saying, what is the kind of smallest version of the vital behavior that I can plant or I can propagate and spur towards uh, taking root before I then kind of amplify it to the point where it's at the kind of rate or at the intensity that I eventually want to get to. So in your case, we didn't really have to think about, because you're already training, right? We didn't really have to think about the vital behavior in terms of this kind of graded behavior that you eventually want to intensify. We were just thinking about what are the seeds we can plant at opportune times that will then have this cascading effect. And I'll talk about cascades now in a second, but for, say, for instance, for a meditation habit. Now, this is almost common knowledge at this stage because a lot of people like James Clear and BJ Fogg and all these guys talk about tiny habits or atomic habits. And the seed habit is basically the same thing, right? It's like, how can I make this so small that it's just easily incorporated incorporated into my behavioral ecology? And the idea of the seed habit and why I use that language is it because it, for me at least, it points to the necessity of having the proper conditions within which that can take root. And it also points to that fact that, you know, it demands almost this fragility and care for a certain period normally, right? It, again, if you've picked the perfect native habit, uh, it might just <laughs> almost like, you know, planting a log that actually works but for most of us most of the time we need actually a bit more care and we tend to have to start off fairly small and you know it's it's a, a actually good pretty good to think about there it's kind of contrast that with the idea of taking a log right so if your vital behavior is to practice an hour a day at this thing you know to lead to this outcome that's a bit like if you were to just introduce that from the start that's a bit like taking a log and throwing it on the garden and expecting it to take root, right? And that's what we often do a lot of the time and it, quite frankly, doesn't work for the most part. So what we need to do is introduce these seed habits, which are the tiniest version of that that seems workable. So once you have your seed habits, so if you're doing meditation, it might be, well, I'm just going to start off with literally, you know, putting out my mat in the morning or my cushion and doing a minute on the cushion. So the next thing, say if we have our seed habit in mind, the next thing we need to think about are cornerstones. And basically cornerstones are existing stabilities within your week. So that might be a habit or some time in the week that something happens with some amount of consistency. And the idea here is that it's again, if you think about the garden, right, there's something already present in the garden that you can attach new growth to or that can, say, support or enable that new growth. Uh, so it's a bit like having, you know, a wall within a garden that you can uh, nail a trellis to and then grow your beans on or whatever. In the case of behavior change, it might be an existing routine. Say you do a plan for your work each evening before in eric's case it was what, what were your cornerstones again uh, so i had my drive from home to jujitsu i had my checklist at the end of each workday. i had a period on a saturday morning which i've now kind of changed to monday lunchtime uh, just a few different times in my week that form part of my routine that we tried to hang some good practices off, which were reminders, you know, checklists about the types of thing I wanted to do in my training and my intention to work on them. Right. So we talk about... What about people that don't have a, 
routine. Like a lot of people don't have routine. They just like go day to day. It just yeah, makes it I, a bit tougher, does it? it but there's always some form of routine, even if there's no routine. You're still getting up in the morning and you're going to bed at night. If you're if you're operating in the world, you have it might it might be it might change daily but you might have yeah it might be something there i think the reality is like uh even if you think you you don't have routine you probably have some reason like say for instance most people drink a cup of coffee in the morning Uh, even if it's not routinized and they're getting up at different times of the day it still becomes something that's fairly stable Yeah, like you say you wash your teeth you take your coffee yeah that kind of stuff all right, keep going. So t- we talk about cornerstones and the idea is that you, you chain this seed habit to some existing cornerstone. So the meditation, you know, it's maybe you just get up, you have your breakfast, and after your breakfast, what you do every morning around the same time, you say, okay, I'm going straight to straight to my meditation. So after that, then we have the idea of um, constraints and behavioral cascades, right? So the the idea of constraints is, so we have two types of constraints. Well, there's more than that, but to keep things simple, we'll talk about two types. We have enabling constraints and limiting constraints. And enabling constraints are effectively things that kind of put pressure on you or support you in some way to enact a particular behavior and the limiting constraints, enact the seed habit, if you will, in this case, Limiting constraints are things that stand in the way of that. So what this ends up looking like is, well, if there's something obviously in your environment, say, again, take the meditation example, if you don't have a space to actually practice, that's a limiting constraint and it's going to motivate other behaviors that take you away from that practice. Or if you have a nice space to practice and it's kind of welcoming and it's available for you at the time that you need to practice, right? That's an enabling constraint. But what we, what we tend to end up having to do is introduce or say, engage some activity at some other point that thereafter enables the behavior in a, in a, in a future moment. Right. And there's a kind of interesting dynamic here, right? So you're, you're using times where you have the energy to make a small adjustment that sets up the conditions within which the larger behavior can emerge. So you're thinking about, say, constraints and your relationship to your environment, not only in a spatially distributed sense, but it's also a kind of temporally distributed uh, relationship. So yeah, you, you say, can I introduce behaviors at some time during the week that enable this larger behavior. And for Eric, that's basically what we're doing, right? If we think about, as we said, he didn't really have a a seed habit of sorts because all he was doing was priming himself for training. But if, for instance, you wanted to get to the point where you're doing an hour-long practice every day of something, which is quite hard to do, you're basically saying, how can I organize my environment to ease that process as much as possible, limit any resistance that might show within your environment. So that might look like, you know, can I get help from someone? Can I set up alarms or reminders? What are the constraints? What are the things I can introduce that in a sense put pressure on me, right, to enact this behavior? As I said before, we're these kind of complex adaptive systems. And what we're doing is adapting to pressures in our environment to maintain certain kinds of say norms of action and once we have established our seed 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 habit and you know committed to that for a little while we start to kind of grow that in a sense and it's important then also to to really have a sense of what is it that kind of funnels you to the behavior that you want in the best way possible and uh, negates any potential resistance that might exist therein. And that way we get what we talk about in terms of behavioral cascades, right? So you start to recognize there's interdependencies between the thing that I do now and the things that happen later in my week. For me, a big one here is, um, and an interesting one, 
is uh, cooking on the weekend. You know, if I can get the chance to cook on the weekend, it kind of buys me back so much time during the week that a lot of other stuff that I might like, might want to do during the week uh, is much more probable, much more likely to happen. Mm. Slow cooker job. I don't have a slow cooker, no. I have the old crock pot on at the moment. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good job, is it? Ah, oh, stop. Side note, did I ever tell you, not to interrupt your flow here, but uh, did I ever tell you about the time I first used the crock pot? No. So we, we sorry to just, uh, I'll give you a b- bit of breathing space here and you can jump back in. But uh, oh, No, go on, go on. We were in a house, we're get, with a house uh, provided from, for work and it was fully furnished. And uh, went in, you know, had all the utensils and all that and then it had a slow cooker, the crock pot. It's like, oh, cool. Never had one of these, but I've not meaning to one, use one for ages. So uh, looked up a recipe online and um, found some kind of like red wine jus, beef, slow cooked something. So lobbed everything into the slow cooker and threw it on for eight hours or whatever. Went away to the shops, came back later on. And there's a bit of a smell like, there's a bit of a smell of burning. And uh, I said, what's that about? <laughs> anyways didn't do much about it just uh, served up the food ate the food anyways and went to clean it go to clean it then that night and it, was, it took me it must have taken me an hour to clean clean the crock pot like I was like this is insane I'm never, never doing this again anyways next day when I was put, putting it away after having eventually cleaned it went to put it into like the, 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 the bottom drawer and seen this big ceramic black piece uh, <laughs> I was just that thinking it, that's <laughs> that obviously had to be inserted and so managed to cook the whole dinner and eat the dinner in that metal uh, element part of the crock pot look you didn't burn down the house my man yeah yeah come on but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyways there's a side note on the crock pot but uh, go on keep going right <laughs> out the uh, yeah so we're we are talking we got to con- constraints and behavioral cascades so you've done all this right and you've set out your c behaviors and it's going as it is and really from this point on it's just a kind of matter of iterating the design right so what's working what's not adjust the constraints you know introduce more kinds of enabling constraints if necessary uh get rid of whatever it is that might be limiting it if necessary. And it's not bad, you know, to keep a journal at this point and note the kinds of things that do have certain types of effects on you uh, and do lead to certain outcomes because the likelihood is that you're going to forget those things, right? And as you kind of iterate through the design, you also, I suppose, feel a bit less, um, a bit less likely to beat yourself up over maybe something not working out because you kind of start to see it as... Uh, a manifestation of the design right so you don't feel guilty about the fact that you didn't commit to the practice you kind of say oh what is it that i actually need to make it more likely that i will commit to the practice that kind of thing and that can be helpful right because i think a big challenge in behavior change is a lot of the guilt and shame and everything else that can come along with it when it's uh, not successful but at a certain point, right, once you have your seed habit going and it's maybe going for a few weeks and you start to have a sense of it having taken root, it having kind of sedimented, there's a, a, a kind of next phase, a final phase, if you will, which is I've started to think about in terms of planting out, right, which is just borrowing again from the, the garden metaphor. After we propagate plant and it takes root in the soil in that little propagator on the windowsill, you know, some at some stage you have to expose it to the harsh realities of the actual garden. And you know, it's it there is a question as to how should I know when I'm ready to kind of prop uh, to to plant out. And my sense here is that the first thing to keep in mind is well, you can always redesign and adjust right so even if you plant out too early you can always scale it back and adjust but my feeling is that when there's a kind of sense of givenness to the habit right when it just feels like 
oh, it's just, you know, that's just something I do now. Like, that's a kind of good stage to start to push the boundaries. And then the last thing to think about in terms of the actual practice of this itself is to be aware of at a certain point, there's what some people call the dip, right? So this is probably like a month in which I think even yeah, we with... We talked this, about it last, last episode, yeah. Oh, we did, yeah. But it's worth re-mentioning here to have it all kind of congruent with what went before. Even with seed habits, you know, when you kind of plant out and you scale up and now you're maybe challenging yourself a bit more, it's still common to encounter this kind of period where the resistance gets very, very evident and very strong and the kind of sense of just wanting to pack it in kind of amplifies a little bit. And I think there's reasons for this. Well, there's obviously reasons. Need not go into them right now, but I think what's important is just to be conscious of that and to the awareness that it really is quite transitory. So I was doing this Grona Yogi thing for the last while and the dip, if you will, lasted about a week. And on the other side of that, the sense of even if it's still challenging, it's something I'm going to do is it's just it's a it's it's again it's a kind of the givenness is present again. So you know, you just kind of work through it. And a good work way to work through it, I think, is is to be just curious of it, right? To kind of inquire into it rather than telling the story that that it's it's telling or buying into that story to just be curious. So that's basically the kind of outline of the practice. But I want I would just want to mention two things that are also worth looking at your uh, Instagram. You'd swear that the dip hit you hard because I don't know if there's much action going on. Well, there's action going on in in the stories. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> sure i ran my technology broke down <laughs> right, right right go on uh, onward yeah so the last two things i just wanted to point out are these kind of related ideas of, of keystones and wrecking balls so keystones are kind of behaviors that you can introduce that either make everything else a lot easier or they are kind of so central to the ecology that they're really, you know, they're, they're just really, really valuable, right? So in the context of maintaining your health, for instance, might be something or would be something like sleep, ex- exercise, sleep, healthy diet. And we think about them in terms of keystones because it kind of maps onto the notion of a keystone species where, you know, it or helps... Keystone. Stone, or a keystone in a an actual arch, yeah, where it helps everything else hang together. But there's not a whole lot of pressure, say, from the system itself to maintain it. Right. So, and this is where eco behavioral design is really helpful. So, I really think about eco behavioral design first and foremost as a means by which to maintain the kind of keystones in your life, you know, on an ongoing basis. Right, so, and if you can decipher what they are for yourself and make a list of them, it's really helpful, right? So for me, like I just said a minute ago, like cooking is a keystone because it has such ca- cascading effects. And if I can do that on the weekend regularly, everything else in the ecology hangs together a lot more. And I probably have six or, you know, five or six other ones. Give me another example. Of the keystone. Yeah, that you have. So you're like cooking our meal prep on a Sunday is one... Obviously, everyone has the same in terms of like sleep, uh, exercise, that kind of stuff. But is there anything else that's going to left field? Yeah, let me, I have them here. Yeah, so big one for me is clear spaces. If if my spaces, I've noticed over the years, if my spaces aren't clear. Your head is cluttered. It's, but it's not just my head, right? We, we We use that phrase, my head is cluttered. But what does that mean? It means that you have all these, say, constraints that are present to you that needn't be, and they start to kind of nudge you in all different directions that you don't really want to be taken in, right? Now, for some people, that might be perfect if you're like a super creative artist and you like being nudged all over the place and this kind of a spontaneous emergence of, say, Mm. 
you know, for, if I, I remember seeing, oh, I can't remember the artist's name, Irish artist, but, uh, oh, shame on me. Anyway, he has a, there's an installation. In the show notes afterwards. <laughs> there's an installation of his work and I hopefully I'll remember it before the episode ends. And you see his artist studio, Francis Bacon, and you see his, his studio and it's totally chaotic. And he loved it like that, you know, that was part of the yeah, 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 part of yeah. the process. So, you know, <laughs> this is there's no kind of generalizable rules here. It's all highly individualized, but I think we all do have keystones. So another one for me was solitude is a big one for me or just getting space and it's actually one i don't pay attention to a lot so that means just i mean getting off technology and going for a walk for an hour here or there and that allows me to kind of gather things together yeah i'm just looking at the i have a list of them there on my wall and it's like daily weekly plan and review morning and evening checklist diet clear spaces yoga meditation solitude sociality romance uh, budget <laughs> budgeting wise spending weekly cooking and i'll probably add to that and, and uh, obviously list making <laughs> list making on the inverse then the keystones is wrecking balls right and and this is like uh, things that are easy to do possibly even a bit of crack and exciting they they needn't be but they can be but they have the opposite effect right rather than I suppose bringing coherence to the ecology, they kind of shake things up a bit and and you know bring disorder to it. Now, I should be kind of cautious here as well. The idea is here is not to be perfect and to get everything perfectly in line, right? It's just to 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 kind of encourage it, maybe a sensitivity, and to be able to give it a name to these things allows you to kind of recognize them. There is no kind of prescription here as to what you should and shouldn't be doing. It's just having these ideas or these terms allows you to maybe categorize things. So, you know, for me, the wrecking balls is like caffeine because it really wreaks havoc. But you do drink coffee. I don't drink coffee, no. You don't drink coffee? No. Oh, man. I know, a disaster. But sure, that's that's a big one for me because it, it messes with my coordination. Even one cup a day. Uh, I can't even do it, yeah. Black. black. <laughs> no, man, I can't do it. Oh, I feel sorry for you, man. Oh, I feel sorry for me too. <laughs> what do you have in the morning? Nothing. Oh. But uh, I was drinking matcha there for a while and it actually worked well for me. It didn't, excuse me, it didn't have that... Um, really stimulating effect at all but it's too expensive it's like 20 quid or something for 30 <laughs> servers your teeth get all green and all with the matcha i'm just looking at the wrecking balls i have there in the wall too it's like coffee stimulants missing meals oh yeah social media in the morning screens after nine unwise spending right, all of those things kind of disrupt the the ecology if you will and uh you know they they require much more effort to return to some harmony than mm. than they entail in in actually um kind of enacting now there might be some times where a wrecking ball is precisely what's what's required it's, so it's again it's not like prescriptive on those terms but that's that's really the outline of the practice as a as a whole i could you know, I could go on about the benefits and, you know, the theory that supports it and all those other components, which are all interesting and which, you know, at some point will hopefully make a book. But if you have those ideas in mind, you can do do a lot with them, right? Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Any cool. questions there? Anything I didn't make clear? I know I was talking there for a while and... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Get into a zone where you, you know you you kind of half listen to yourself and you don't know if you're actually <laughs> making all no, that. I, sense. I think it was good. I think it was good. It um, it's good to even though some of the stuff it's 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 repeating itself. It's no harm to repeat itself because 
sometimes I ask myself, is like, what are we doing? Who am I? Who are yeah. you? No, no, I think it's, um, yeah, and like we said, to, to gather it all in the one place is not something we've done before, and it'll be a useful episode to point to, I think, for people if they want just the overview, you know. Yeah, right. Sounds good. I suppose we were going to talk about visualization, but I don't think we should now. I think there's a lot there to digest again. So we'll we'll leave that for a later episode and, and the next steps in my efforts to win the World Masters Championships at yeah, Bluebell. We should say like, so So we're kind of, you know, you've fairly well sedimented the 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 basic habits that support you more say making it more probable that you're going to enact your game as such right yeah yeah and what we want to do at at this stage is think about okay when you're on the mats you are doing what you can do and you're limited in the time there so there's not much in terms of intervening there that we can add to the design but we figure that there's space off the mats where you can actually maybe do some stuff. Well, we haven't figured that there is that space yet because of a newborn, but it's up for discussion. Right. So what we're thinking, well, what we're thinking, I suppose, is another, say, high leverage intervention might be how can you maximize moments off the mat that will actually support you better integrate in your game ecology and you know having a better awareness of what that is and i suppose just getting you ready right yeah chatting to one of my coaches during the week yeah he was saying like you know things he he did when he was training for the worlds in 2017 were the likes of these reminders in areas of his home that were kind of reinforcing the fact you know world champion 2017 all right, so that was real, notes. real like mindsets, yeah. mindset kind yeah, of mindset stuff. Yeah, mindset kind of stuff, you know, to turn on the light, world champion 2017. Right. Yeah, so it seems like there's, there's a couple of aspects here, right? One is the mindset stuff. Mm. The, the other, though, is, you know, it kind of accelerating your ability to learn the kinds of things that are essential to your game and using, say, something like flashcards, for instance, or you know, visualization that is specific to practice. So yeah, they're all things we're going to talk about and kind of go through the design process again with those things in mind and thinking about how can we, you know, what are the vital behaviors? What are Mm. the, what is the seed habit? Where are the cornerstones? How can we chain it? What are the constraints, the cascades, design and adjust and so on and so on. Sweet. Right. Okay, well, uh, let's just wrap it up by saying if anybody's any questions or any of that eco-behavioral design, uh, what's the word, uh, that episode, this episode, <laughs> just email you at eco-behave, eco-behave design, design yeah, eco-behave at com, or hit you up on eco-behavioral, spelled yeah. European, yeah, spelled yeah. The, Brit- the British sense, uh, eco-behavioral design, Designs. Designs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, if you can find that, fair play to you on Instagram. But, uh, or else Mark M. James on Twitter, more academic setting, but you'll find you there too. Yeah, little shout out for somebody else this week. Obviously, much love to the local Canadian and, and, and Irish support, but a uh, little hat tip to our followers in the Philippines. So, oh, nice. Whoever you are, shout outs. Don't know how you ended up getting hold of this, but fair play to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, spread love to hear, the spread, love, spread the word. Love to hear from, um, you know, even if it's not with a question or anything, just a hello from the Philippines or from wherever you are. That'd be cool. <laughs> right, yeah. All right, let's leave it at that for today. We'll uh, talk next time. Bye. Bye.